Have you ever wondered how spirituality and politics are interconnected or why we become so polarized by the media? In this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we're going to bring on Mark Wendt, men's wisdom coach and transformation agent provocateur, to explore these questions and more as we dive into the complex world of politics and belief systems. We'll take a closer look at how breaking free from social conditioning can help us see things in a new light and why modern political discourse often falls short of productive debate. And speaking of debate, we'll discuss the difference between healthy debate and toxic arguing. But perhaps most importantly, we'll delve into the concept of truth, what it is, how it's defined, and whether it can be both objective and relative at the same time. And to wrap things up, we'll introduce you to Democracy 2.0, a new approach to democracy that could revolutionize the way that we think about politics. So join us for an eye-opening conversation on spirituality, politics, and everything in between. It's time to sit back in your favorite chair, get your favorite beverage, and get ready for this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, Spirituality, Polarization, and the Pursuit of Truth, Navigating Politics in the Modern Era. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back, listeners. Today we have Mark Wendt here to talk about spiritual evolution. It's glad to have you here, Mark. It's great to be here. All right. Well, my listeners are curious. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I am a child of the 60s. I am a personal coach, a wisdom coach. I have been through a lot of transformation and a lot of societal transformation, a lot of spiritual growth. My father was a student of theology before he met my mother. And then after his professional life, he continued to develop deeply into all of the various spiritual disciplines, researching a lot of different things, as well as the occult. I have a natural affinity and curiosity about human nature and about what drives us. And thanks for sharing that. When we first initially talked and connected, uh, one of the things with that came up was the topic of spirituality and politics. Some people may think they're on polar opposites and some people may think that they may intertwine. How do you see those two topics intersecting? Well, it's really a human story ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. We're all human beings trying to get through this thing called life together. The intersection of spirituality and politics is the intersection of human challenge. How do we solve problems? What are the systems we use? What are the cultural frameworks? What are the structures we use? So politics is just a reflection of various systems that we've tried to implement over the years. And in America, we have a particularly good one, albeit it is flawed. Spirituality is 
who we are beyond the physical. It's a way to describe a science of something we don't have a science really tuned into yet. So mm -hmm. we use that word to describe phenomena and experiences and types of thinking that we don't have a really solid basis to discover other than philosophy, which is the language we tend to use in spirituality is philosophy. Ultimately, life and human endeavor is a discovery process. And one of the key things about scientific exploration and theories is the discovery process. And so we're humans discovering who we are. Now, you mentioned that the United States has a good system going, albeit it's a little bit flawed. What are your thoughts about the current political climate within the United States? We're not doing a really good job of helping each other. That's something that's conditioned. We're conditioned to. It's a kind of context that's being woven by people that benefit from that. Politics is another symptom of that. The economic disparities are symptoms of what amounts to an attempted control matrix. Um, there's a lot of people who wield power who don't want to lose power. A democratic republic at its root has the premise that majority rule is a good way to do things. If we all have a say, we'll come up with the best of, the, of an idea and how to go forward. But inherent in the way that the founding fathers built the system is a mistrust of the majority, which is why we needed representative government. We needed handlers to make the right decision in case we got a little too passionate. Well, unfortunately now, the way to get those handlers elected involves poking at all of our passions and making us drive into how we identify with certain teams, which is really just a way to identify with an ideology. Identity politics is one way I've heard it said, but it's really about the influence of propagandists and others to force us into divided camps so that we're easier to maneuver and manipulate. I'm in agreement on that part. It feels like it's either or. It's like you're either left or you're right. You're a Democrat or Republican. And if you're like in the middle, then both sides scorn you. It's a very interesting thing because the whole idea of cancel culture and the whole idea of othering people, it's really antithetical to what we call our country, the United States. The basic premise was that we were supposed to be able to have our differences and live peacefully amongst ourselves. That we were going to be able to do that in a way that was conducive to getting along and making decisions. It was the ballot is better than the bullet on one level, right? Media and entertainment and technology have now made the means of mind control, propagandists, much more powerful. And so more and more money is poured into winning elections by creating divisive issues and polarizing people. And it's really not in everyone's self-interest. These issues actually don't feed us. And our body politic is sick with this division and this poison of our discourse. Our discourse is about othering people and poisoning people instead of finding the common human things that are true. We all want real safety for our kids. We'd all like schools to be safe and well-funded and do a good job of educating each other. And we'd like to have our streets, our highways and our sewer systems and our water systems be top-notch and well put together. Ultimately, that's the function 
of government, but too much it's about who's going to control the purse strings, who's going to control the way things are done, and what you know where the ideological divisions are. In the best possible world, we would have differences that would break down, perhaps along spiritual ideologies. For instance, the abortion issue would still be here, even if we had the perfect democracy, right? If democracy was perfect, we would still be divided about this spiritual issue because people have differences of opinions about whether or not that's something that we should be doing with uteruses. My personal take on it is very libertarian. I think sovereignty is real. People should get to do whatever they need to. And society should be constructed around mutual beneficial beliefs. Where I live in California, abortion's legal. In other places in the country, it's not legal. I'm not okay with that, but I think that's how our system is structured. And if you don't want to have that happening in the community, I think you should be able to construct your community in such a way that can be true for you, if that's what everyone agrees to. The problem is this is being done from a top-down dictatorial level. It's not, if it were about freedom of choice, we'd be a lot less critical of each other and more tolerant about each other. And I'm particularly not fond of Christians who want to espouse these ideals and at the same time they're ready to persecute women who are having difficulty in their lives because of what's happening with their reproductive system. It's fascinating that when we're looking at the abortion issue, a lot of the people who are anti-abortion, when you start asking them about what do we do after the child's born? How do we make sure the child's fed? How do we make sure the child's educated? How do we support the family that you just forced to have happen? They try to deflect or like, I'm not paying my taxes for that child or for that woman's mistakes. It's fascinating to see those who want to force their beliefs on other people, but not want to be held accountable for the consequences of those beliefs. This is a perfect example of why polarization happens. It's also one of the key areas where spiritual evolution is occurring. How we have these discussions with each other is the key to how we live together and how we evolve spiritually through this process of arriving at mutually beneficial peace. As we bump into these conflicts with each other, we have to do the inner work to evolve ourselves and evolve our relationship to creation. However you might view that, whether you want to view that through a more natural science-based sort of approach, or if you want to see that through the lens of some other kind of organized spiritual religion, some set of practices or some set of beliefs. I'm a white person raised in America, and so the Christian ethos permeates my lifestyle, and permeates where I live. But because I was raised in the counterculture in the 60s in Berkeley, I have access to a whole lot wider system of beliefs. And that informs this kind of, I don't want to say libertarian, because I'm a registered Democrat. On some levels, I am. I believe in self-definition. And this crosses a lot of arenas. This crosses a lot of areas. One of my father's favorite quotes is about Christ. He says that Christ isn't coming to make peace. He's coming with the sword. And I find that very interesting. And that's antithetical to my point of view which is that the idea here is we could find a way where humanity could be more closely connected to what aligns us as opposed to what divides us. 
how do we get there? And that was what the American system was supposed to help us do. We're supposed to be able to have the freedom to have religion or freedom from religion, the freedom to identify as whatever party we wish, vote for who we want, have a business that we run ourselves. That's the ideal. But more and more we find that system was built on the oppression of other people and on the genocide of indigenous populations. And so we can now see behind the veil. And what that's forcing us into is recognition of the illusions that we hold as our foundations of our society. When a person's foundations are pulled out from under them, which happens in a psychedelic journey, by the way, that's when you find out what they're really made of. What are their values when their moorings and the things that they're tethered to that help them align and navigate who they are and what they believe in are torn away? Who, who are they then? And I think that's a fascinating question. Yeah, it definitely is. I know it's not just psychedelic. Some religious traditions out there, that is the crux of their, uh, I don't want to say initiation process because other groups have different terms, but a lot of it is how do you deconstruct who you are when you no longer listen to society's filters? Right. When we are free from our conditioning and our social conditioning, who are we? We're all busy trying to figure that out. We're all trying to remember who we really are beyond our identities or who we, what team we think we're on, right? Yeah, exactly on that. Now you brought up a term earlier and I'm sure some of my listeners heard it and they're probably like either rolling their eyes or getting a little tense, but I know this is a term that gets used by various groups with different meanings. Cancel culture. How would you define cancel culture? Probably the most potent way I could speak to this question would be to say as an almost 60 year old white cis male, I shouldn't actually be the one we listen to on this conversation as to yeah. what defines culture. To go beyond that sort of politically correct stance, that informed stance on who I am and where I sit, the privileges I have. It's the idea that the thing that we are afraid of or that isn't in alignment with our value system needs to be eliminated. Mm -hmm. It needs to be unavailable to anyone because it could threaten us or it could threaten the people we care about. And so that is kind of how I see cancel culture. How would you define it? Yeah, it's along those same lines. So it's the opposite of the echo chamber where the echo chamber is where we self-select the messages that we hear or what we allow into our bubble. Cancel culture. So there's two variants on it. One is if something is genuinely harmful, deplatforming it to protect others. But that's not how it's often used. I see it more as the mob trying to externalize their echo chamber. Meaning if they don't like someone's opinions, they will go through any means possible to silence them. It's not just what they call out, which is, okay, this is problematic. It's going through as far as doxing, stalking, all those sorts of things, trolling, and using those negative behaviors or those, and those harmful behaviors as a means of silencing that external voice versus just saying, nope, we're just going to filter this out of my bubble and say that this doesn't exist or we're not going to listen to them. I think this really ties back into the earlier discussion because the imposition of our values on others is where it gets problematic. The idea that someone can tell someone what to do with their body 
or that someone can tell someone that their form of comedy is not okay and should be removed from the airways. It's similar in nature. Now, one could argue the degree of harm, right? That's a reasonable thing to unpack. And that's why our system is designed to be more nuanced and to have more flexibility. The idea of freedom of expression is really, really central because you cannot have informed debate if people are afraid to speak up about what their thoughts are, what they believe, and then what the logic is behind that. And debate, we used to actually teach it as a practice. There's rules, right? You don't attack people in an ad hominem way. You provide evidence for your claims, right? That's citable, right? Those rules of debate were designed to help us navigate difficult discussions amongst each other. The problem with our current situation is that we don't have a clear set of agreed upon ways to discuss with each other. Now, more and more, it's evolving naturally without the debate rules of the past. If you're a compassionate human, you listen, right? And then you try not to attack the person. When we start to make it about the person, that's when we get into trouble. N-word Bernays was the first psychological scientist to really bring propaganda into the media. And you can see that in the newsreels of the 20s and 30s of the 20th century. One of his fans, someone who watched him very closely, became Goebbels, who was Hitler's propagandist. And now in the 21st century, we see those techniques of psychological manipulation being extremely prevalent across social media, across regular media, print media, television media, film media, where people are being subconsciously coerced into identity politics. And then battle lines, division lines are being sowed. There are certain small classes of people who, if we actually figure it out, they are not going to be in power anymore. I'm a big fan of Bob Marley. And one of the things Bob Marley said about cannabis was he said, the reason they don't want us to smoke the weed is because if we smoke the weed, we're all going to think alike. And if we all think alike, come together in unity, those people are all going to be pushed out of power. Coercion and capitalist dominance, those don't work. Or actually, they work all too well, and that's the problem. But it would be a better world if people had self-determination and free enterprise, free from vertical monopoly and horizontal market manipulation and all of the horrific aspects of capitalism. We have a lot of work to do, and we don't have discourse about what the actual potential solutions are. We're all too busy making each other wrong to actually discuss what the solutions are and that's where the key stone is missing because when we look at history especially in our privileged american culture we've always been able to come up with a new innovation an amazing new way to solve our problems i believe as a human that humans in general can do that if we're allowed to if we can come together under certain conditions we can create solutions and there's a lot of people out there creating solutions and they don't get as much publicity or they don't get as much thoughtfulness because we're also busy trying to classify which side we're on, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. One of the things that's become more and more prevalent over the last several years is this concept of relativism in truth, like my truth, like speaking my truth, like honoring someone else's truth or someone else's view on a situation versus looking at a more objective truth, their truth being looking at 
the world and they have a view on how the world functions or what is going on and they say it is their truth and when it really is their opinion or their perspective which may be flawed the other problem that comes up is that when you want to debate it they see it as an attack on themselves versus an attack on an idea or a dissection of an idea Do you feel that that type of transition we're seeing in society may be contributing to some of the issues that are going on nowadays? Absolutely. And the whole idea of objective truth is problematic. You can see that relatively easy if you use critical thinking at all, or if you have any philosophy education. I'm going to go up to 30,000 feet and back thousands of years. There's a book called The Kabbalion, and it talks about seven hermetic principles. And this book is calling up ancient Egyptian philosophy from a person who is known in Kemet, which is the traditional name for Egypt, as Thoth. He's also known as Hermes Trismegistus. In the Kabbalion, one of the principles is the universe is mental and that all truth is but half truth. Why this is interesting is if you bring Einsteinian relativism into our thoughts. The universe is thought and relativity is physics. I can have a point of view which feels like truth, but I'm observing from my conscious place in the universe, in time, space, and intellect, What truth is, from my point of view, to me, is objective. Only if I'm able to take my own sense of self and put it outside that placement and try to take a different view, what we might call intellectual empathy, because empathy is typically feeling nature. But if we are able to put ourselves in another's point of view, we have the opportunity to see why our objective truth may only seem like a half-truth to them. When you think about the physics of how we navigate the time-space and the idea of thoughts being truth to one person from their point of view and truth to another person from their point of view and how they may appear opposite, what emerges is this idea that right and wrong are not as cut and dry as we like to think. Relativism is a slippery slope into anarchy, right? Because pretty soon you have no values at all because you have nothing to rest your values on if there's no objective truth or if there's no code of ethics, right? In a world where we have free will and the actual experiment that's happening on a human level is about what will you do with it when you actually have the ability to choose to do anything you want? What will you do with that as the evolution of human beings continues? Will we evolve into a place of mutual beneficial peace and harmony or will we devolve into a place of hellacious battle and suffering and toxicity in the environment? The Christian dichotomy that they set up was a useful symbol before we had the intellectual capacity 
to see how each decision affects future decisions from this point of view of what I'm calling spiritual relativism or relativism of truth. There are a lot of great academics who could make this argument better than me, but because of my privilege and my curiosity on the internet, I'd be able to do my own research. I love that phrase, right? I'm prefacing this and saying this to poke fun at myself, right? Because of course, I think I'm, what I'm talking about actually means something important. Well, great. Thank you, Boomer right? (laughs) Hey, I'm an elder millennial. I'm not going to say that. But my point is that to the extent that we're so committed to our own righteousness is to the exclusion of what's possible for us in terms of our evolution as human beings. It's curiosity and a willingness to gather new evidence that's the key to transformation and the key to the next gateway opening and the next possibility for myself as an individual and then ultimately collectively as humanity. So there's this idea of looking deeply into our own ability to reason and coming up with our best guess or our best reasoned logical outcome and assessment and our critical thinking pattern, and then being in what the Buddhists call beginner's mind, even at that stage. Why the Kabbalion is so important is because it outlines these seven principles, one of which is that All truths are but half truths. And then from that point of view, you can be like, well, what is compassionate listening? What is compassionate speech? If I'm sitting across from someone who vehemently disagrees with me, how can I speak to them in a way that has them feel safe enough to reveal what they really think so that I could learn from that? And how can I listen when they do speak so that I'm not thinking of the thing I'm going to say to rebut them, but to actually let in what might enlighten me, what might allow me to become wiser. This to me is the bottom line of human interaction, compassionate listening, compassionate speech, and this idea of truth as relativism and learning to understand our fellow humans through the lens of curiosity. So with that in mind, where do you think society as a whole is heading? I think there's a multiplicity. I think where we're heading is where we've always been heading. I'm particularly fond of an idea I came up with, of course, right? Because I want to be excited by myself, egoic to do that. But there is something to this idea. So I'm going to share it with your audience, which is Democracy 2.0. And Democracy 2.0 looks like we take technology, audiovisual technology, smartphones and computing and we take the representative government model and we increase the ratio of representation at a massive scale so that instead of 100 senators, we have 100,000 senators. And instead of 486 or whatever representatives, we have 486,000 representatives. And we reconfigure the system so that it has the structural, functional capacity that we've used for so long that's actually helpful. And then we explode the sample that we take of whose opinion we're counting and how we're having conversations about it so that I could actually go talk to my senator instead of having to donate $10 million just to get a five-minute appointment with them. The other thing that I like about it is you can't coerce that number of people to shift the majority. You can't blackmail, bribe, or otherwise cajole people into submission around getting their vote a certain way. So 
I think that's just a purely scientific mathematical principle that wouldn't be that hard to solve. If I can do my banking on my smartphone, I should be able to vote on my smartphone and my senators and Congress people should be able to conduct a debate and have a quorum and vote on legislation using the technology at a level of 10 to the 10th power beyond where we are. What do you think is holding us back from that point? The results of divide and conquer and of polarization are to make it feel like there's no way to win unless we destroy each other. That the only option is to defeat the enemy. When the true option is to innovate together to all get what we need. You and I having a highfalutin conversation about democracy and the evolution of polarization. and It's a very privileged conversation. There are people that are struggling just to get their basic needs met. And that's even in America, right? Let's not even talk about what's happening in other parts of the world. But nonetheless, what's the missing ingredient? People don't know what to hope for. The reason I talk about Democracy 2.0, and it's leaking out slowly in all of these podcasts that I appear on, is because somebody's going to take that and they're going to figure it out, maybe during my lifetime, maybe not during my lifetime. And that tool could begin to push away some of the remnants of colonialism and some of the remnants of capitalist dominance over cultural evolution. And from that, humanity could bloom into a whole new set of possibilities and a whole new personality. Well, we're not like hating on each other all the time because we have hope. I want to breathe life into the possibility that there is something to hope for, that we are creating new solutions. The doom and gloomers, zombie apocalypsers, they're fixated on a disintegrative approach to life. What you think about, you bring about. So if what you keep worrying about and keep thinking about is the collapse of Western civilization, then you're going to act accordingly. But if we build in some ideas about how to have reparations and how to restructure things and create more equity in the world, pretty soon those people are going to bring the brilliance of their ideas to the table. And if there's no impediment to the innovation, then as a species, we can create an amazing world. And maybe we could actually do interstellar travel without destroying our biome, right? I believe in the possibilities. That's how I was raised. I'm not oppressed. So my thinking and my hopefulness has been nurtured from a privileged place. That's, of course, how I show up. And I just figured, okay, then I got to bring the goods and I want to bring that. And so my version of Democracy 2.0, it looks like that. Of course, it's flawed on some level. I'm sure a computer hacker or a computer programmer or even someone who understands the intricacies of how our democracy works to say that would never work. Instead of saying that to me, solve the problem that you see. Solve it. Figure out how to make it work. How do we make this work? Because that's the world I want to live in. And that's what I'm willing to die for. What can we do individually and collectively to change the overall trajectory of our society? Recognize that you're not insignificant and the paradox that you are totally insignificant. If you are willing to look at yourself and constantly be in a state of what could I do better? How can I be a better human being? How am I showing up in my relationships? How am I showing up in the choices I make in the economic sphere, 
if you are in a constant state of awareness and refinement and willingness to be curious about the impacts of how you show up, then you begin to develop new patterning. That's one of the ways we break the system. Organic food is prevalent, not because someone legislated it. It's because the market said, we want more organic food. That's just a natural law. When you realize that the power of the individuals to arrive at an elevated awareness and then implement that in how they act on their values day in, day out, veganism is a perfect example. And by the way, I am not a vegan, but those people stand for something, right? And that's it. Principled stands that move all of us forward incrementally learning about yourself, reflecting on yourself and noticing where you've been tricked into giving up your power to other structures and then reclaiming it. Then when people like me, people of privilege get much more conscious of our impact and of the reparations that are needed to restore integrity, we can begin to act in large and small ways to restore integrity and to have reparations occur. Ultimately, what does it do? It slows down fear. I guarantee you that a lot of white supremacists are just, they're just afraid. One of the most brilliant stories I heard is a guy who was 20 years in jail. He was Aryan Brotherhood. He got out of jail and he had an awakening about white supremacy. And now he goes around and he talks to white supremacists and Nazis about deconstructing that belief system in their self and recognizing our oneness, which is the truth, man. We're all one. We're all one entity ultimately. And we might look different or we might have different philosophies, but the higher level aspiration is that how can we overcome the illusion of disability and separation? Those stories are out there everywhere and you just have to look for them and you have to be one. Go ahead, be one. And thank you so much for your wisdom here. We definitely had a lot that we covered and we kind of went all over the place and then we came back to together on how to move forward with everything, with how to take everything that's separate or polarized and how we can get ourselves back into something that's more cohesive and a bit more functional. We can do it. We just have yeah. to put our minds right. We have to get the right mindset and then develop the common tools to enable each other for success in this arena, in this mm -hmm. domain. Is there anything else that you want to share with our guests before we go? The belief that it's possible is the first step in doing the impossible. Yeah, the quote is, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. If people want to follow you or follow up with you afterwards, where are you online? You can find me at Mark Went Coaching on Twitter. You can find me at markwentcoaching.com. My phone number is listed on that site, so you could call me and talk to me if you want to do that. No doxing, please. That's the easiest way. I'm also on other social platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram. I even have a TikTok. Mark with a C, M-A-R-C-W-E-N-D-T dot com. That's my coaching website, markwentcoaching.com. Or just find me on the socials. Send up a flare. I'll find you. Perfect. Again, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. That was an amazing discussion, and I hope you enjoyed exploring the intersection between spirituality and politics with us today. Before we go, let's quickly recap what we covered so far. We discussed how our beliefs and values shape the way that we engage with political issues and how media polarization can further divide us. We also discussed how breaking free from social conditioning can help us see things in a new light. 
and why modern political discourse often falls short of productive debate. And let's not forget about truth, whether it's relative or objective or both. It's a fascinating topic that could be explored further in future episodes. Now, let's shift our focus to what's coming up in future episodes. On March 5th, we're bringing on kinesiologist and life coach Amanda Kate to discuss prioritizing internal truth over external influence. We'll explore how we are conditioned into needing external validation and the steps that we can take to break free. On March 12th, we're going to talk about healing and how everything we've learned about this process is wrong. Jennifer Moore, empathic mentor and master trainer for EFT International, is joining us for this conversation where she's going to share both her personal journey as well as provide guidance on how you can facilitate your own healing. And with that, we're wrapping up this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. Take some time to reflect on what you believe, why you believe it, and how you express your views to others, especially those who might think differently. With that, have a great week and stay spiritual AF. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing.